going to be in Matthew's gospel today. Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 18 through 19, where we read, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. We have this summer been in a series that we have called A Life-Giving Church. And uh, in years past, we have preached about what it means to be life-giving, uh, what, what that actually entails to some degree. Uh, but a lot of those years when we've preached it, we haven't really given you practical application and what it looks like to be life-giving. And so this summer, we've been trying to do that. What are some of those things that make us very life-giving and allows us to live in and cultivate a life-giving culture? And um, so we've been doing that throughout the summer. And I'm, I'm going to kind of finish off on one big idea here because I really believe that a big part of being life-giving is having really good, healthy, gospel-centered relationships, living relationally uh, with God, uh, with ourselves, with others in the body, but also outside of the body as well. And so what I'm going to do as we're closing out the summer here and looking, going into the school year coming up, is I'm going to spend several Sundays just talking about this idea of healthy, gospel-centered relationships, all right? I don't want to try to tackle all of this in one Sunday, uh, but I want to I kind of break it down and parse it out for us, all right? So today, I want to begin that, that sort of like series in a series, if you will. I, I want to begin it um, by hopefully giving you a little bit of a, a biblical synopsis of Jesus' approach to building relationships, how Jesus did it. Uh, and, and, and what he did, uh, and how he did it in the context of sharing the gospel. Um, and I start here talking about relationships because, after all, Jesus is our model, all right? And so I want us to look first at Jesus and, and sort of draw from him uh, and his example to us. Um, and so I'm going to examine about three different passages of Scripture just a little bit today, and, and really lay out a huge challenge for you and I. And my prayer today is that you get as uncomfortable with this message as I got in preparing it, okay? Uh, that, that you actually feel the tension uh, in your own life as you look at Jesus as your example uh, and as your model, all right? Now, a lot of us, let's begin by, by, by clearing the air here, a lot of us have been taught either by, by someone speaking into our lives or, or by some social kind of experience that there are two things that you don't discuss in public, like when you get around a group of people or in a social setting, um, you just don't talk about these kinds of things, and that is politics and religion, all right? Um, as a matter of fact, some of us were told growing up, don't bring politics into the church, and don't talk about your religion in political circles. And so it seems like we've been told or we've been conditioned that 
These are not appropriate subjects for us to bring up inside of our spiritual relationships, okay? Um, and uh, I, I'll give you a story of my own experience. When I first entered Bible college up in Minot, North Dakota, um, I was new to the Midwest. I grew up in South Georgia, and so it was a unique cultural experience to begin with, to say the least. Uh, but I went out and found a job right away because I, I've always been a person who worked even from a, a young age, um, and so and I needed a job, um, and uh, so I went to work in a, a radio shack, uh, just selling uh, electronic equipment in that day. At that time, it happened to be uh, CB radios that truckers used in their big trucks, and now people are putting them in their cars, and a lot of you are shaking your head. You remember those, all right. Uh, um, but, uh, and, and then uh, amazing technology came out for televisions, and we started to sell those, you know. And so I was enjoying this little job I had. I had recalled a scripture one day as I was at the mall working in Radio Shack. And I wanted to remember that scripture, so I had written it down on a piece of paper, and I had meant to stick it in my pocket. Someone asked me a question. I set it on the counter to go help them. I came back a little bit later, and my boss man, his name was Andy, was standing there, and he had this piece of paper in his hand, and he was absolutely furious. And he looked at me, and he, he, he called, I don't know why he did this, he looked at me, and he goes, Billy. No one's ever called me Billy. Growing up, I had a worse name, but no one's ever called me Billy. And it just startled me. He said, Billy. And I'm like, this is incongruent, this like sort of very familiar term for my name, Bill, uh, and this stern look on his face. And I didn't know what I was about to get. And he held up the piece of paper with the scripture reference written on it. And he looked at me, and he put it kind of in my face, and he said, don't you ever, ever, ever bring your religion into this place. And he crumpled it in his hands, and he walked away. I was a new employee, and I was scared to death, <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with that, you know. But, but I learned something there. When you talk about religion, some people get upset, <laughs> very upset. And some people don't want you to have anything to do with that around them, you know. And, and maybe you have an experience. Maybe you have a place in your life where there's a marker that somehow you got this kind of a message out of an experience that you were not supposed to talk about your religion. You were not supposed to, to share your spirituality. Uh, these are not things that are permissible or whatever. And what happens is those kinds of experiences and those kinds of messages often give us this idea that the subject of faith is taboo, uh, especially in like political circles. Uh, are, are, and, and when we talk about these kinds of things, obviously sometimes they do. They create emotion. They, they create debate. They, they create disagreement, all right? Um, and these two topics, faith and, and politics, maybe more than any others do this. And so we have a tendency to skirt them. We have a tendency to go around them. We have a tendency to ignore them. We have a tendency to keep them sort of like a secret part of our life when we're out among the lost. But Jesus, <laughs> Jesus did not do this, all right? As a matter of fact, he not only exampled a different way, 
but he actually calls us to engage people in conversation around faith. As a matter of fact, before Jesus left this earth, he said a few things to us in Matthew 28, and and then we hear it again in Acts 1, almost like prophetically as a reminder here. All right? Go and make disciples. You will receive power. You will be my witness. And these are things that we cannot let die inside of us. We cannot let these commands diminish inside of us as God's people. And the early disciples were very intentional about having conversations with people around faith and around religion and around their own spirituality. And I think Jesus was explicit. I I, I, I think he is telling us to do something that in reality, my friend, is very volatile. Something that culture even tells us we shouldn't do. Our culture demands that we not do. And so we can find ourselves in this very conflicted place, if you will, all right? And and so I want us to examine what Jesus examples to us and what we see also in the book of Acts as well because we see this this new church, if you will, the, the followers of Jesus. We see these early disciples being very intentional about having these conversations. And I want us to be very intentional about these conversations because Jesus was, we should be, all right? This needs to be our example, all right? And, and here's the thing, though. Even though you and I have clearly been commanded to go and to share, research tells us that this is not something that the church is doing. We are not going out and becoming the friend of sinners. And as a matter of fact, there's a huge, tremendous conflict between culture and the church today. And it has become very difficult for some of us to find those places where we can be friends with sinners. And yet, this is what Jesus showed us. And honestly, if we look at it contextually, we're going to see that in the days of Jesus, it was equally as conflicting to bring the message that Jesus brought. Jesus turned the world upside down religiously and made a huge impact And those who describe him said, look at him, a friend of the sinner. What does the world say about you? How do they describe you? What, what What is the descriptive term for you and I among sinful people or among unbelievers out there in the world today? Do they say you're a friend? Or do they say, you're one of those people that's isolated. You're one of those people that's gone separate. Uh, You're one of those people that doesn't want to be defiled. You're too clean, therefore you're too good. Therefore, you are superior in some way. Therefore, you've made me feel small in some way. And therefore, I'm not going to listen to you because you aren't like Christ, really. And so I think you and I have some things to work through um, as God's people. And 
you say, well, you, you said you were going to talk about relationships, and I want to know how to relate to my brother and my sister, and I want to know how to be a good Christian in the church, and I want to know how to be more committed and intentional in my D group and, and these sorts of things. That's all a very big part of it. And another big part of it is absolutely your relationship to the Father and how that is going. And only when that piece is going right will the rest of this fit. But I want you to understand, in starting this little bit about being life-giving and being life-giving with a gospel-centeredness in our relationships, that you and I have some work to do on those relationships with the lost. There's, there's some work for you and I to be doing. And I understand, I, and I, I did a little research and I pulled together like what are the, the three main reasons why we don't befriend lost people? Why don't we go out there and really make friends with lost people? Why do we get closed in and why do we stay that way and why, do we, why is that so comfortable for us? There's a guy named James Chow and he, he did a wonderful video about this very thing of having conversations with lost people. And he says in his video, he says, the unique thing about us is that we really are wired by God. All right, we're really wired and, and we can get excited about things that are important to us and, and the things that are important to us, we want to share with others. We're actually wired to share. That's the way God has created us. For the most part, even those who are introverted to some degree, you're wired yet still to share things with someone else. It may be a very trusted colleague. It may be a, a very trusted spouse. Um, it may be one of your children. It may be a lifelong friend. It may not be a larger group, or it may not be a, within in the context of a D group. That may be difficult and challenging for some of us, all right? And I realize that some of you, you've let me know the more I talk about more of us getting in front of the mic and more of us sharing inside of the church and doing all this. A number of you have let me know that that is not your comfort level, all right? And I'm, I'm getting that. I'm starting to understand that, okay? And respect that, all right? But we as God's people have a responsibility to be friends with lost people. We have a responsibility to be friends of sinners. And yet, we do not have a passion for that oftentimes. And Charles says one of the main reasons is that we have found other things to be passionate about other than the Lord. And we easily, as we go through our lives, our excitement for what God has done for us personally diminishes. And so we find ourselves, if we're being honest, identifying with those people out of the book of Revelation who have lost their first love. It's not so wonderful to us anymore that we want and desire to share it with someone else. And yet, if we really love lost people, the most loving thing we could do is to bring the gospel to them. And the way that we can do that with the most authenticity is to hang around with them. All right, I didn't say be like them. I didn't say do what they do. I said be with them. And I want to challenge you and I on that today. I want to challenge you to get out of the church and get into the world. Don't be like the world. You're not of the world. But get in the world. 
All right? Get in there with some lost people. Get in there and make some friends with some people who don't know Jesus. If you are only making friends with a qualifier that your friend has to know Jesus, you are not like Jesus. And so your life and my life needs to be marked by some relationships that are outside of our comfort level, outside of our protected zone, outside of our sanctified boundaries, so that we are creating these opportunities that are authentic to care about someone enough to pray over them for a bit of time with the intent that I will share my faith with this person. And if you don't have that as a piece of the shape of your life as a discipleship, something is missing there. So if we're not excited about our faith, something is, is wrong. The second reason we don't share our faith is that we're just plain scared. We, are, we have become and we have been uh, induced to be a super hypersensitive culture today, even inside the church. And so we're very, very sensitive to rejection. We're very sensitive to not being accepted. We're very sensitive to someone not liking us. And so because of that, we shrink back and we don't reach out to those people who might counter us in what we are presenting to them. They might actually reject our offer and we personalize that and consider that rejection of us more than we consider it rejection of Christ and his message. And so we're scared to get out there. And so that also causes us to, to lose that passion that we might have or that, that vitality behind serving the Lord. I, I can tell you something that, that I'm amazed about, and that is that when, when you meet a new Christian, uh, they're just really new and genuine in their faith, and they've accepted Christ, and they really realize what Christ has done for them and forgiving them of their sin and what they have received through Christ, they are so excited and they're thinking without even any prompting. They're thinking about, oh, I could share this with my, my mom, my dad, my, my wife, my husband, my children, my friend at work, my coworker, whatever. I, I could share this. With, and they start to think about how to share. And you get around seasoned, long-time Christians, veteran Christians, you don't hear a lot about sharing the gospel. That, that excitement is gone. Like, it's dissipated completely. And for some of us, there isn't even a consideration of it. From day to day, we do not consider. We pass people that we know and we have some type of relationship, on the acquaintance level at least, and we still don't share our faith with them in any way. We don't put anything out there. We don't try to develop any deeper of a relationship with them. We, we just let it go. And the reality is, is that person is loved by God. And that person is lost in this earth. And we have the answer. There's an old... Muslim proverb that says something like this. He who wanders the desert and knows the place of the water but tells no one is an infidel. An infidel. 
I'm telling you that you, I, I, I told you, you're going to get uncomfortable here in this. But this is where we have to start. You've got some relationships in here. They may not be the healthiest, and we're going to talk about relating to others in, in some other Sundays here. But folks, this is, this is the tragic piece of our relationships. Gospel-centered relationships, and we're not relating to lost people. Something is so wrong. Something is so amiss here. All right, and here's the third reason, and this is one that I really think we can all get somewhere with sooner than later, is the third reason we don't share our faith is with unbelievers is that a lot of us don't really have any non-Christian friends who we feel strong enough to share with. We haven't put forth any effort to develop a relationship with an unbeliever. And yet we encounter them all the time. I'll tell you, I'm going to brag on one of our leaders here today because I appreciate how much he does do this, and that's Pastor Dave. He will start that conversation. And he's done it a couple of times, and I'm going to be very honest and very transparent with you. I'm not good at that. I don't like to do that. I don't enjoy it at all. I don't think he likes it. I don't think he enjoys it, but he's disciplined himself to do it, and he does it a lot more than me. And sometimes, you know, we're in line at the checkout counter, and there he goes. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, and I move over here. (laughs) You know, it's like, what is he doing now? You know, well, who are you? You know, what do you do when you're not here working, you know? Uh, Do you go to church? You know, I mean, he's just... And it's just that it flows out of him. It's very natural for him. And I, I admire that, all right? But I also am scared of that because it hasn't always gone so well for me. The, the scripture reference in the, the store was not the worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario for me was a very scary moment when a man reached into my car and pulled me out by my religious T-shirt that I was wearing and threatened me with a handgun and told me he could blow my brains out. And I was all alone traveling and had no one with me and no one there for me but God. (laughs) And I was scared to death. And as he pulled me and held me close to him, I really did not know what the end of that day would hold. And I regretted that I was wearing a T-shirt about Jesus. (laughs) I didn't want to be a Christian in that moment because I was scared. I was afraid. And see, I couldn't think, out of that fear, I couldn't think about the early church and the Christians who died for their faith, who, who willingly rejoiced that they had been chosen to suffer persecution for their faith because I was weak. And I was loving my life more than I was loving Jesus in a moment. Now, the Holy Spirit came into that, and I can't tell you all the details about it today because I don't have time, but the Holy Spirit came into that, and in the end, the revelation to me was, as I talked with this man, that indeed he wasn't going to use that gun on me. He had planned it for himself. And thank God that God gave me the grace 
to stay there with him. And I was able to take him to a, to a, a safe place and in the end lead him to a pastor and then go on my way. I don't know if you've ever had those kinds of experiences, but what I'm trying to tell you is that we can't let experience that has spoken wrong messages to us mess with us today. Jesus risked everything, and here's why I think he could do that. Long before Jesus went to Gethsemane and prayed the the death prayer, he died. I believe Jesus died before he was born. I believe Jesus had that, that mission and that purpose long before we would ever understand. And my friend, you and I have to do that. We have to die to be relational. We have to lay down our life. Because there are some rich conversations that are waiting for people out there, and they come from us. They are moments between two people or maybe more where you and I grow close to someone, that we have a growing relationship with someone, and we share with them some very meaningful time together. And as we do that, we become privileged to share our faith with them. What I'm talking about to you in the next few Sundays is nothing like standing on the street corner and just screaming out messages of condemnation and guilt and shame to people, all right? Uh, That is not what I'm advocating here at all. Nor am I asking you to go door to door and knock cold turkey on a home and just ask someone, if you died right now, what would happen to you? Do you know where you would go? I'm not talking about those kinds of things. I'm not even talking about you speaking to someone, asking them or or, or giving them a couple of platitudes and complimenting them in some way in some cheesy remark and then starting to try to push the gospel on them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you and I creating a list of people. And this is what you do in a D group. You have a list of people that you're praying for. And you begin to ask God, before you ever talk to them about God, you talk to God about them. And you begin to pray, and you ask God for that place, that point, that time, that entry place where you can begin to speak into their lives. And you look for those opportunities where perhaps God is opening a door, where there's a a welcome, there's a spirit of peace there, where you know you can go in. And then instead of shrinking back, And letting that opportunity go by, you actually get in there with that person. And you begin to build some type of relationship with them. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think that most of that's going to happen over a meal. It's just the way it works. Craig Bloomberg is a researcher and a theologian of sorts. And uh, he studied this. And... uh, he talks about this in his books, and he says that, that when Jesus has interaction with sinners, if you watch, it almost always occurs primarily in the context of meals. It's either going to a meal, having a meal, or leaving a meal. And, and if you research it just through the Gospels, all right, 
There's, there's three beautiful accounts in Matthew. There's three beautiful accounts in Mark. There's seven of them in Luke, all right? And there's a couple of them in John. And in all of these places, Jesus is in some way involved in some type of meal with sinners. And that's the reputation he got. Look at him. He is a friend to the sinner. It doesn't just stop there. It says, look who he hangs around with. He hangs around with drunkards. He hangs around with prostitutes. He hangs around with tax collectors. There's not a lot of places where it says Jesus hung around and fellowshiped with the other believers and they were all together and they had a great time and they went to Culver's and had ice cream. And then they went home and went to bed and they had nice dreams. It doesn't say that stuff. I know, I'm, 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 really, I'm really digging in there with some of you. And I, I, I was about to say I'm sorry, but I can't. Because this is, this is the heart of Jesus, is that you and I get out of that comfortable place. I'm not telling you you can't have ice cream. I'm just telling you change who you have it with. <laughs> you know? Let's, let's you and I evaluate our lives here. And I'm, I'm afraid for us that we have gotten so comfortable that we are not willing to share our lives with unbelievers. And some of us have a wrong theology and a wrong message here. And that message is that if I let myself be touched by sinners, we're going to talk more about this next Sunday, okay? If I let myself be touched by sinners, I am then defiled. Well, that was an old religious belief that you and I need to break free of because Jesus broke the culture free of it in the way he related to sinners. And so you and I have to be willing to understand that that. Jesus has come with a model and a message to us, to you and I. And, and that means that you and I are going to be the friend of sinners. And I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I believe this in my heart. So I'm going to tell you this. Well, I'm going to tell it to you today, but I'm going to keep telling it to you because we've been telling it to you. If your life is not shaped like the life of Christ, and if you are not making disciples, if you're not sharing the gospel with others, then, then your life is out of shape. It, it's, not, it's not aligned with Jesus, and you need to get there. And one of the best ways for you to do that is, first of all, die to yourself and say, I'm going to become a disciple maker. Like, I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to do this because Jesus commands me to do this. Don't do it because we painted it on the wall. Don't do it because David and I get up here and, and, and with much repetition bring it to you. Do it because you're convinced in your heart that Jesus has commanded you to do it and you want to be obedient to Jesus. And then just go do it. But if you're having problems with making disciples, you need to be in a disciple-making group. That's called a D group, by the way. And you and I need to get in those groups and have some accountability with other believers. We will talk about that when we talk about relationships with one another. 
And you and I need very much to create that list of those people in our lives who don't know Jesus. And we need to begin to pray. We need to begin to pray for God by His Holy Spirit to give us the doorways in, give us the strategies, give us the conversational pieces that will allow us to speak to those people that will open a door of opportunity for us. And before you ever pray for that person, you pray for yourself. And that is why you're in the D group, is so that with one another you can confess your sins, you can share your, your, your fears and your struggles, and together you pray for each other for the strength to go out and do what the Bible has called you to do, to go and make disciples. And so I challenge you and I today that we become disciple makers and we do that as we become friends with sinners. Now, that word sinner that's used oftentimes in the scriptures in the New Testament is used to reference very um, serious sinners. We have this kind of like mentality that you know, some sins are not so bad, and so I can, re okay, I got a friend, okay, he swears a little bit, but it's not so much, you know. Well, I'm sorry, he's probably not even a sinner. He's probably just an unsanctified believer. Let's be honest, okay? Just, let's get down and be really honest about this. You aren't going out to sinners. You aren't going out. How many of you actually know a prostitute? I mean, yeah, you're laughing, and there's a, there's a little bit of sense of humor here, but I think the humor is more because you're uncomfortable with what I just said to you. We had a, a woman who came into our church years ago who was a prostitute in Sioux Falls. And she was able to help me to understand a lot of things. She had been a prostitute in this city. She had done that as her means of income in this city, and she carried a lot of baggage because of that, but she found Jesus. And to be quite honest with you, today she is a wonderful, wonderful Christian woman who is doing work for the kingdom of God. And when I say prostitute, a lot of you think that. You think, oh, some woman who's somewhere in a sleazy hotel. There are a lot of men prostitutes in Sioux Falls too, by the way, okay? And their business is just as lucrative as a female. There are prostitutes on street corners in this city who are young, younger than adults, who are being sex trafficked throughout this city. Sioux Falls is not immune to this. And I want you to understand that those people, like Jesus went to, are in our city. Our city is not a nice little city with people who are maybe or maybe not battling a few simple little soft sins. The, the rate of arrest for drunken driving in this state is astronomical. There are a lot of alcoholics in, in this. Talk to some of our guys who have served in AA and worked with a lot of these men and women. They can tell you that there's a lot of people battling this kind of thing in our city. And there's a lot of other sins that you don't like to talk about and that you wouldn't like to touch 
in some way, but they're in this city and they are people who are living here and they have families and they are functioning and they're working and they have jobs and some of them have careers and they're professional people and they're doing all kinds of things out there in the world, but they are sinners and you and I are not willing to befriend them because they're not like us. And for some of you, you have some pride issues and you're looking down on them because they're sinners. Have you been saved so long that you forgot what it was like to be a sinner? You say, Pastor, you're getting really hard on us. I really am. I really am because I personally am so convicted right now that I don't know what to do with myself. And I believe that that conviction is from God. And I believe that God has tapped us here, and this is a place where you and I, ha I have to close for today, but I, I, I want to tell you that I believe that you and I are not where we need to be with God. And if you do not have some relationships and can be a friend, if you cannot be a friend to sinners, something is wrong. And if you don't have relationships with some sinful people, something is wrong. And if you're not praying for those sinful people, even more is wrong. Everything about Jesus that he modeled for us was that he was indeed exactly what they said he was. He was a friend to sinners. And that's where we're starting these next few sermons. And I'm going to parse this out with you over some passages in the Gospels. So here's my question to you. When's the last time you could say you truly befriended someone who did not know Jesus? Do you have any kind of list at all of even three people who you are praying for consistently who don't know Jesus? Have you been asking the Holy Spirit to let you in to a place where you could share the gospel with someone else? And most telling for us, when was the last time you actually did share the gospel with someone who is an unbeliever? Those are the probing questions that I want to leave you with today. I want you to stay right there, and we're going to parse this out over the next few Sundays. Please do not find an excuse not to come to church next Sunday. It's going to be just as uncomfortable for us as today was. All right, we're going to get through this together. And we're going to, God's doing a work in Life Church, and it's, it's happening in each of our hearts. Jeannie, come up and, and just give us a little bit of gospel and uh, encourage us. Give us a place to think for a minute here, and then Seth's going to lead us in a song. And today, I, I, I want you to come to Jesus. This is a come to Jesus day, all right? So just come on, let's do that. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Whew. This is a tough message, but one that we all need to hear. Because I can relate to a lot of things you said, Pastor. I've become comfortable in the place where I find myself, in my safe little place. And I've 
found myself, you know, just pondering this and thinking of the times. You know, the story that comes to mind is the Good Samaritan. Where I've gone to the other side of the street because it might look messy if I encountered or engaged with that person in front of me. But God's calling us to step into the messy, just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He even said that. He came to show us what it looks like to live and to walk in the messy and to not fear. And I carry a lot of fear. I even think of my own my own family members that I'm afraid to have this conversation with. These are the people that I love the most. But I find it hard to start those conversations. But I pray that God will give me the strength. And that's what we all need to do. Because he will strengthen us in those places he will encourage us, and the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak. We just have to be bold enough to begin those relationships in a whole new way. And not just a greeting, not just saying, hi, how are you doing, and be on a merry way, but to truly engage in the lives of the lost just as Jesus did. He came to the earth and he died for every one of us, and God's desire is that not one should perish. He says that, not one. And it doesn't matter who they are or what they're walking in. But he's called us into their lives to get messy with them and to show them love and to show them life, just as Jesus did. And in that dying and rising, the freedom that he gave us that we can help others find. So today, I just want you to reflect on what God has stirred in your heart. Kind of felt like Bill was just taking the stick and poking at me. Like, what are you going to do about it? That's my question. What? are you going to do about it? So I'd like to invite the prayer team up. And as Seth is, and we join Seth in worshiping, to not wait till after the service, but if you feel something stirring in you, to come during the song, to come and be prayed for. And then afterwards, you're dismissed. So, Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are ever at work in our lives, that you do not leave us where we're at, that when we begin to get comfortable, you shake things to make us uncomfortable because you've called us to a higher place. You've called us to be more than just believers. You've called us to speak life into those sinners, into the lost, to be more than we can even imagine because of your great love for us. You strengthen us. You give us words. You encourage us. You embolden us. So, Father, we ask 
that the next time we're in that place where we're face to face with an unbeliever, with a sinner, that you would embolden us to just engage and to be a part of their lives. So, Father, as we go out from here today, I ask that you would bless every conversation that we have, that you would go before us and show us, Lord God, those that we need to be praying for. And the Lord, when you open that door for us to speak life and love into them, to speak the gospel of truth, that we, Lord God, would be willing to lay down our own lives and our own comfort to be what you have created us to be. Bless us and keep us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.